it wasn't one of my better ideas of home ownership. In fact, I'm probably not going to repeat it. It uh, came a couple years ago on today, Halloween. I could blame my former neighbor, Jeff, because um, he, had, he went all out for trick-or-treaters. He had one of those inflatable things that were going there, but what was really cool is he had a fire pit in his front yard. Now, my fire pit was too heavy, so I came up with a crazy idea, and I told him, and he said, that's probably not going to work. And I said, to, I thought, what does he know? I told my sweet wife, Julie, about it, and she said, don't do that. And I thought to myself, no passion, no vision. This idea is portable, it's brilliant, it could go viral. I decided I was going to have a fire in my wheelbarrow. Uh, Bill came out and shook his head and just kind of laughed as he went for a walk. As trick-or-treaters came, uh, one of the dads went, cool idea. And I thought, okay, there's a man with vision. This is great. And it was going well <laughs> for about 15 to 20 minutes when Tom, my neighbor, kitty corner from us, came across and he said, hey, Kirk, uh, you may want to take a look. Your wheel's on fire. Not only was the wheel on fire, the wood was on fire. I put it out. I felt like a dork. My neighbors laughed their heads off. And then I had to go into my wife and confess what I had done. Well, this message today is called Deliver Us from Evil. And it falls on Halloween. And I don't want to be a Grinch because uh, maybe like you, my social media will blow up today with um, a little grandson who will dress up like a bear. And last year, my granddaughter and grandson dressed up like Farmer Brown and a cow. And, and I grew up uh, making a haul on candy. Uh, my mom made sure that it lasted through Thanksgiving, that we didn't binge out too much. But certainly, there's a dark side to today, right? And I don't want to make any bones about that, about devils and ghosts and creepy stuff and witches and gravestones and evil, but what a mixed picture we have, right? I mean, if you Google today, Halloween, you'll find a mixture of paganism and, yes, Christianity, because today is actually also called All Hallowed Sacred Eve. It's on the verge of All Saints Day, which is tomorrow. All Saints Day recognizes people, godly witnesses like pastors and and teachers and moms and dads and gospel witnesses and know it's not just a Catholic thing. And also today, as you probably picked up, it's Reformation Sunday. That's a really big deal. So how do you navigate those two things? The, the creepy part, the dark part that we can't, uh, what, we can't underestimate with its influence and also this, this sweet part that we, we see with little ones dressed up and all hallowed Eve. How do, you, how do you navigate between those two extremes? Well, our friend uh, C.S. Lewis, who was a uh, Christian theologian from England, came up with this from the Screwtape Letters. That's really been helpful. He said this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is the disbelief in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive, unhealthy interest in them. 
they themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So this morning, what we're going to focus on is this key idea, but deliver us from evil. We're going to learn that evil comes and that evil has been overcome. So just for some context, I have used this model. This is a model. Each one of these are boards. They're not books. And each one of these represent a petition or part of the Lord's Prayer. They're, they're colored to go with the petition. The first petition is our Father who art in heaven. It's red because he loves us. The next three all have what God is doing now, what we can't see. It's for his glory. Hallowed is his name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Those things are happening. We paint them gold. Uh, the next one is green because it reminds us of God's daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. The next one is about forgiveness. It's painted red. Why? It's red because the blood of Christ has forgiven our sins. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. And the next two go together. The next two go together, and that's the context for today. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And when Jesus prayed this, him being a Jewish rabbi, he used what was called parallelism. Why does that matter? Because parallelism goes together. Think of railroad tracks. And parallelism amplifies both. Amplifies both. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in this petition... The context is we're praying for our Father's protection, whether it's against temptation or it's against evil. Now, the other thing about context that we have to just remind ourselves is this. Ever since you have been a Christian, whether it's asking Christ into your life later in life or when you were baptized and Christ just nurtured that and nurtured that, you've always been in a spiritual battle. You have a target on you. You do. You'll either fight or be defeated. Alexander White, a 18th, 1800s he lived, he said this about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is so short that even the person with the worst memory can recite it. And even the person who is the busiest can say it. So the last one, that we need to understand when we look, talk about deliver us from evil, we want to make sure that there's a nuance that we pick up, and that's from the original language. You often hear pastors say, in the Greek, the reason why they say that that's the original language of the New Testament. And the Greek language, you hear words like agape, love, or koinonia, fellowship, or logos, the word for word. Those are Greek words. And in Greek, you can have a noun or adjective be three things, masculine, feminine, or abstract called neuter. And the phrase that Jesus uses in this prayer, but deliver us from evil, is an abstract word. But with context, we understand this word being used in the New Testament. Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 that we'll get to, and then Jesus' good friend, 1 John, uh, John, in 1 John chapter 2. The point is this. Each one of them has the context being the evil one. That's how we're going to understand it, the evil one. 
we see Jesus being tempted. And first century listeners would have picked up on that. They would have picked up on this nuance, deliver us from the evil one. So some translations say deliver us from evil. Some say deliver us from the evil one. We're going to talk about deliver us from the evil one. As a first century Jew, they would have realized, Lord, don't expose us to the place of temptation where we are given to the assault by the power of Satan. It is a plea for God's protection from the evil one. So here's where we're going to go. Here's where we're going to go in this message. We're going to look at two different apostles' warnings so we know our true enemy. And then we're going to ask the question, like, so what? So if evil comes and evil over, is overcome, how can I protect myself? I'm going to give you some very practical things. So let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I want to direct your attention to the back of the bulletin if you want to follow along. If you're watching online, you, uh, we're so glad that you are. Um, I want to encourage you to download the bulletin. Here's the first apostle's warning. This comes from Paul. I encourage you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, very famous passage of Scripture. The apostle Paul warns us that we should know who our true enemy is. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, 2. Ephesians 6, 12, excuse me. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now just put a pause on there for a sec. I was thinking about this in writing this message. Why didn't Paul say our, our enemy are not the Romans? They were certainly the Romans in Paul's day. It was a political mess, taxation and suppression. Why didn't Paul say Judaizers? They were religious jerks bringing legalism and adding to the gospel. Why didn't Paul say our enemies is the Greek culture? And they're what they promoted with their values. They were perverted and they were polluted. Or what about the Gnostics? Spiritually weaseling in with secret wisdom. No, Paul says there are powers and principles and spiritual forces. As a top New Testament scholar, F.F. Bruce said, this is declaring Satan's armies are highly organized. They're, def they're defined and they're disciplined. The proof for that, F. F. Bruce writes, is Daniel chapter 10. Look at what happens in Daniel chapter 10. But this is what we need to know about Satan. Uh, call it a time capsule, if you will. And these are, these are written in your bulletin, and, and follow along with me. Where did Satan, like, come from? 
What was that all about? Isaiah chapter 14. Turn over there if you want to. Isaiah chapter 14. This is called the five I wills. The five I wills. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. Circle the I wills because there are five of them right there. You can see them. This is his history. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn, You have been cast down to the earth. You were once laid low, the nations. You said in your heart, here it is, you circling? I will ascend to the heavens. I will praise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mountain of assembly on the utmost height of Mount Zaphon, and I will ascend above the tops of the clouds and get ready for it. I will make myself like the most high. You know who is there? You know who saw it all? King Jesus saw it all. He had a firsthand account. He wrote in Luke chapter 10, 18, I was there. I saw when the evil one fell. My best friend was there. He said, I saw it. I saw pride and resistance come out of one of the most beautiful and excellent of all created beings. I saw him want autonomy. I saw him want my father's throne, who only he sits on it. And that caused rebellion. And that was against the will of God. That was his history. Question, what is his destiny? Flip over, way over, last chapter of the Bible. Last book of the Bible, I should say. What's his destiny? Revelation chapter 20. Prophetic literature. The judgment of Satan talks about the thousand years Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive all the nations in the four corners of the earth. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And this is his destiny, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan has been defeated. He is no co-equal with God. He has been forever condemned. That's his destiny. That's his time capsule. Now, if you go back and you read Ephesians chapter 6, flip back to Ephesians chapter 6, and I know we're going back and forth, Ephesians chapter 6. When you read beginning in verse 13 through 18, The Apostle Paul says that you've been given armor. And he lists six pieces. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit. Five of them are defensive. Five of them are defensive. And one is offensive. This is an illustration of how we know the enemy, our true enemy, and how we fight against our enemy. And what's interesting is also this verb that's in that passage of Scripture, to stand. See it in verse 11? See it in verse 13? It's repeated two times in verse 13. And then it's there in 14. And then if you want to, go to 18 and circle the word, which is also a verb, which is the word alert. Be alert. Be aware. Be aware of not only 
his workings, but of gospel opportunities in the midst of darkness, like tonight, ding dong, when all those little ones come to your door, pray for them. Part of the reason why I like Halloween so much and having a fire pit is when they come to my property, on my house, I get to pray for them. They're coming to me, a broken man who's been forgiven by Jesus, and now I can pray for them. This is the way that George Duffield put it in a hymn that many of us know. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer, where duty calls or danger, but never wanting there. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle. The next, the victor's song. To those who vanquish evil, a crown of life shall be. They will with the king of glory shall reign eternally. This is all about knowing our true enemy. When we stand, we stand humbly knowing that our righteousness is given to us because of the cross of Jesus. As a follower of Christ, I have to ask this question. In fact, here's two assessment questions as we think about knowing our true enemy. Two assessment questions. First, agree, not sure, disagree to the following statement. As a follower of Jesus, I don't take the evil one or his demonic influences seriously enough. How would you answer that? As a follower of Jesus, I don't take the evil one or his demonic influences seriously enough. Do you agree? Not sure or disagree? You don't have to answer that. But certainly, there is a question that we should wrestle through. Another assessment of knowing the enemy. How do you discern between the Holy Spirit conviction and wicked Satan condemnation? How do you discern that? It's not an easy answer. This might help. Holy Spirit conviction is painful, yet it is sweet. Holy Spirit conviction points us to the cross. Holy Spirit conviction produces mourning, not despair. Holy Spirit conviction whispers repentance. Holy Spirit conviction whispers forgiven daughter, forgiven son. The difference is wicked Satan accusation condemns, renders you helpless, reminds you of your past promises that you've made to do better or try harder, whispers, you'll have to figure it out, you'll have to do it on your own. If you could do it on your own, why is Christ on the cross? If you know the true enemy is powerless when the cross is lifted up, it will set you free. That's the first warning. But lead us not in, but deliver us from evil. One. But deliver us from the evil one. Here's the second warning that Jesus' good friend Peter says, the devil is our persistent enemy. The devil is our persistent enemy. He is, comes after us again and again and again and again. First Peter chapter, First Peter chapter 5 1 Peter chapter 5 uses a word picture that the enemy prowls alone like a roaring lion 
seeking one, someone to devour or to eat up. Notice what it says, run away then. It doesn't say that. It says resist him. And then the next word is stand. The next word is to stand. Now please understand this. Please understand, it will do no good if by foolishness or direct or deliberate rebellion that you turn away from what God is showing you to be true and you repent. And if your inward heart intends to just to go over and do it again and yield to a particular sin because I can, I can sin because God forgives me, no, there's no forgiveness for that. We are to hate our sin. This, this petition says, Lord, deliver me from the evil one. Help me. I seek you. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I fall every day. I give in to the evil one every day. Exactly. We are to repent daily and say, God, I need you. God, I need you. And he hears those prayers of saying, Lord, have mercy. Satan has always had an ace in the hole for us as followers of Christ. He's always had it. If you sin, you die. The wages of sin is death. If you sin, you die. That was our original parents' accusation. They ate the forbidden fruit. They ate from the forbidden fruit, and they died. But the book of Hebrews has a word of hope for us. The book of Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, you can look it up later if you want to. And by the way, we're going to spend all of next year, 28 messages, I think, in the book of Hebrews. I can't wait to go through that book with you. So we'll unpack this more. But here's what Hebrews chapter 2 says. Beginning in verse 11. The one who makes people holy and those who are holy are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus calls me a brother. Wow. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He said, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I'll sing your praises, verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children of God, the children God has given me. Verse 14, listen. Since the children of God have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who have all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. What does that mean? It means this. The death of death in the death of Christ is our hope and confidence. Listen to that again. To our persistent enemy, we hold on to this. The death of death in the death of Christ, is our hope and confidence. So question, what happens when two lions meet each other? If the apostle's warning is that we are to be aware of our persistent enemy, the evil one who comes after us again and again and again, what happens when two lions, excuse me, meet each other? Yes, there's the lion of Judah, Jesus, but the book of Proverbs says this, in Proverbs 28, chapter 1, the second half, it says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Wow. The righteous are as bold as a lion. The, 
bold can also mean confidence or courage, and it's actually used in that term as a verb. And so what does bolding look like? What does confidenting lionish look like as a child of God? It means we're eager to serve. It's mean we're quick to thank. We're humble in our actions, and we defer to love. Righteous women and men know that their righteousness is because Jesus is with you. His spirit is in you. Jesus is for you, and he fights alongside next to you. This Reformation Sunday that we're celebrating today, over 504 years ago, Martin Luther was involved in great spiritual warfare, great discouragement. Oftentimes, he would feel like the evil one was knocking on his door, and it was said that when he sensed that Satan was knocking on his door saying, Is Martin Luther here? His response was, a man in Christ lives here now. Yeah. So how do we do that? Our persistent enemy comes again and again and again. In this prayer, we say, deliver us from evil. For the one who, for evil one comes, but the evil one has overcome. When the evil one comes, he comes with lies, and he comes with deceptions. And he comes with temptations, and he comes with accusations. So let me illustrate it for you. There is a great classic novel written by John Bunyan called A Pilgrim's Progress. It is the story of a pilgrim, don't think Thanksgiving, think of sojourner, of one who goes on life's journey and faces all kinds of hardships. That pilgrim's name is Christian, and he is burdened burdened by his sins as he reads God's word and that burden becomes like a large sack and weight that's on his shoulders. It is only let go when our friend Christian comes to the cross and the burden is lifted. Christian goes on his way, goes on his way and comes to a place of refreshment where there he is encouraged and there he is given armor and as he leaves that place of encouragement, he goes and battles the evil one. Listen for the last accusation that the enemy says. All the times you have failed him. And Christian responds, that is why his mercy and forgiveness are even sweeter. Amen? This is from the Pilgrim's Progress. It was from the Pilgrim's Progress. What is this? Where am I? So, a sword, a shield, armor, you turn it up a bit. They were preparing me for battle.
Why, Christian, what are you doing here in this horrid place? So far away from your comfortable home and loving family. Even if you reach your destination, what will become of those you love? Perhaps you'll save yourself, but what of them? No, I think it's best you return with me. Now. Put down your sword. Their gaze is to the things which last forever. Keep this in mind, Christian, for you will meet people who will pretend to lead you in the right and will only lead you into misery. What? The king has never failed me, and I will not fail him, you. Deceiver, you liar, you usurper of all that is Silence. true and true. I served under you and found nothing but misery. Silence! My allegiance is with the Celestial King. Is it? You heard me. How many times have you already failed him on this journey? You are a disgrace to this king of yours. Which makes his mercy and forgiveness the sweeter. You are a deceiver that binds your subjects with invisible chains. The king has broken mine, and I am free! I follow him! Man, deliver us from the evil one. That's what King Jesus says. Evil comes, evil is overcome. So if you're sitting here this morning thinking, now Pastor Kirk, what, what do I do? He, I understand he's our true enemy. He, he comes after us again and again. Now what do I do? Here are some very practical things I want to give to you that you can write down. I'm sorry you'll have to write these quickly. Christians call, maybe you've heard this if you've been around the church, it's called a hedge of protection. How do you pray for a hedge of protection? We find that phrasing in Job chapter 1 verse 10. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Satan is accusing God the Father of putting a hedge around Job, what are hedges that you can pray for daily? If you are the spiritual leader in your home, you've been given full authority and permission to ask for the following protections. Here's the first one. Pray for the blood of Jesus to be over every door and window in your home. Where do you get that? In Exodus chapter 12, 22, the verse is written right there. The children of Israel were to take a Passover lamb, and they were to put it, the blood of the Passover lamb, they were put it over their doorposts so that the enemy, the, the death angel, would pass them by. Well, later in the New Testament, John 19, verse 29 says this, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soak a sponge in it, and they put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant, and they lifted it to the lips of the Passover lamb. You have full right and full authority as a child of God to pray every day that the blood of Christ will go over your doors and windows and protect you. That's a hedge. Uh, secondly, Psalm 27, verse 5 says this, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Do you love Jesus? Yeah, you qualify. 
you qualify to ask the Lord to send his angels east, west, north, south, on the rooftops, on the deck, on the driveway, on your house, because you're his daughter and you're his son. It's your protection. It's given to you as a child of God. Number three, the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29 says this, Our God is a consuming fire. What was one of the signs of the Pentecost that came in the book of Acts? Tongues of fire. Pray that a wall of fire will be around your home, protecting you, the wall of fire of the Holy Spirit. And the fourth one is this. Pray that God would bring protection in his shalom peace. The blood of Christ, the angels of God, a wall of fire, and the peace of God. The last thing is this. Put your armor on every day. Memorize that. Memorize that passage of Scripture. Memorize it. Commit it to memory. And when you're driving to work or you're driving to school or you're out for your morning walk, put on that and memorize it so that you armor up each one five defensive and one offensive. And by the way, all the defensive ones are all gifts. Salvation, truth, righteousness, faith, and peace. They're all gifts. They've been given to you. Wow. Let me close with this way. There's an enemy who hates your guts. And evil will come. When you walk out the door, when you scatter, know that evil will come. But evil has been overcome. How do we know that? That's the proof. That's the proof. The cross is the proof. Amen? Amen.